It's time to step into the more that God has for you. This is Eunice Lai, and I would like to welcome you to today's episode of Beyond the Building with Laura Pereno and Debbie Kiever of the Beyond Women's Conference. Now, we all are on a journey in some, in some form or fashion, and we've all been on a journey that feels hopeless. In 1993, Dan and I got married, and we knew each other for six months before we got married. And in those six short months, we did have time to discuss the fact, do you want to have a family? And we both decided, yes, we would, per, you know, we would want to be parents, we would want to go down that road. So we started on our journey toward parenthood. Now, I'm sure it's true for many others out here today, sometimes our journeys don't go the way we think they're going to go. And sometimes there's lots of other people on the same journey, and we're all kind of going together, but the pace changes. And other people, their journeys are kind of working out the way we thought our journey was going to work out. And our journey kind of gets stuck. And we're in a place where our journey is not going the way we want it to. You know, the Bible says that hope delayed makes the heart sick. So we start going through an emotional thing. We start feeling like the heart is sick. Sometimes our journeys don't look the way we want them to, or we think they're going to. Naomi's journey to Moab, back in verse 1, when Elimelech took his family to Moab, it says in verse 1, he was always planning to go back to the house of bread. This journey to Moab was not supposed to be permanent. When the bread was restored, Elimelech, God is king, was going to take his family, and they were going to go back to the house of bread. Naomi was making that journey back to the house of bread, but her journey did not look the way she thought it was going to. Naomi envisioned her journey to be Elimelech, God is king, leading the way with her and her sons, returning for a celebration when they got back to Bethlehem. But that's not what it looked like. The people had changed. The whole situation had changed. So Naomi's picture of what her journey was going to look like had changed. And that's what happened for Dan and me as well. You know, we had planned on going on a journey. It didn't go the way we wanted it to at that time. And we were dealing with infertility. And if you know or you've experienced that, you know, it's painful. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in those years that you're dealing with that, that thing. But today, I don't want to speak about the pain that came in those years. Today, I feel like I am here to speak about the hope that God gives us in that time and the faithfulness of our God on our journey. Because God gave us a better story than the story that I could have ever written on my own. And God spoke to our hearts back then that we were going to pursue the miracle of adoption and that we were going to have a family. The journey was going to get to the finish line, but it was going to be a path that would far exceed, be beyond what I ever could have asked for or imagined. So Ruth is holding on to her anchor, and she says, no, I will not go back to Moab. Yes, I will go to Bethlehem. And with that firm declaration of hope, she turns from everything that she was, everything that she had been, and she puts her faith and hope in her God. And verse 22 of Ruth 1 says that when Naomi and Ruth 
arrived in Bethlehem. It was right as the barley harvest was beginning. What an interesting way to end a chapter of hopelessness. 21 verses of hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. And then verse 22 says the barley harvest was just beginning. There's always hope. You know, they were coming back into their hope, and God restores our hope too. And when he restores our hope, and it goes along with the Abraham and Sarah's story from this morning, it's always going to be at exactly the right time. You know, when God restores our hope, we don't have to worry that he's going to bring us back in the middle of the barley harvest, and then we're going to have to try to play catch up, or we're going to have to try to get our hope in another source. And he's not going to bring us back to our hope at the end of the barley harvest when hope is past. He always brings us back right at the beginning of what he has planned for us. God's timing is awesome, and we need to trust him. My husband works for the airlines, and one of the perks for working with the airlines is that you get free travel. And before we pursued our adoption journey, Dan and I used to, for fun on the weekends, pack a carry-on bag, because in our family, we don't travel with anything larger than a carry-on bag. We would pack our carry-on bags, and we would go to Kennedy, and we would just go from gate to gate to gate, saying, do you have two seats available? Do you have two seats available? And we would pack for anything, because we may end up in Alaska, or we could end up in uh, France. We could end up anywhere. So it was fun, and uh, we would take our suitcases up there and gate to gate to gate. And one Friday night in October, we went to Kennedy with our carry-ons, and we got turned down at a few gates, and then the gate for Stockholm said, yes, we have two seats for you. So before we got on the airplane to go to Stockholm, uh, Dan asked me to check the messages one more time. So I, you know, we didn't have cell phones then. So I found a phone, called the answer machine, and there was one message on the answering machine. And it said, Mr. and Mrs. Perino, this is the adoption agency, and we have identified a baby girl for you in Russia. Now, you know I did not want to go to Stockholm after that. <laughs> I just wanted to go home and wait for my FedEx package to arrive with my first baby video. But my husband said it's the weekend and FedEx doesn't come till Monday. So, so I said, all right, one night. That's all we get. So we got on the plane. We went to Stockholm. Couldn't think of anything else. Turned back around and came home, and there was the FedEx on Monday morning. You know, getting that phone call, that was the barley harvest beginning. You know what that feels like. You know when you're longing for something and your heart is desiring something, and it's a desire that God's put in your heart. It's a promise, just like Abraham and Sarah, it's a promise, and so we know it's going to be fulfilled. But man, when you get that phone call from the adoption agency, everything springs back to life inside of you, and you know that your hope is restored. That is what God the King does. He is sovereign. He is in control, and he restores our hope at exactly the right time. I'm so thankful for that. Let's keep reading in chapter 2. It says there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, 
Let me go out to the harvest fields and pick up the stalks of grain left by anybody who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now look at chapter 2, twice in those verses, God says Elimelech again. Because, you know, God is king when we go to Moab. And God is king when we come out of Moab. And God is king when we come back to the house of bread. It's all over. All over here, the truth. So we're introduced to a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a relative of the family. He's a close relative of the family. He's a godly man with a good reputation and good character. You know, not everyone left the house of bread in the time of famine. Boaz stayed in Bethlehem during the time of famine. He was a man who trusted God to see him through plenty and through want. So we're introduced to Boaz. Ruth, in verse 2, has taken on a new name. And how interesting is this? Ruth said to Naomi, your people will be my people. In verse 1, she was Ruth. In Moab, in the desert, she was Ruth. She gets to Bethlehem and she has a new name. Ruth the Moabite. Your people will be my people. You are Ruth the Moabite. She still has hope, even though they are saying everything that she's hoping in was not coming to pass. She still had hope. Ruth may have been wearing this name tag that said Moabite, but years before Ruth was even around, God had established a law, and in his law, he had provided hope for Israel's poor and for foreigners. They, foreign women, foreigners, were permitted to glean behind Israel's reapers in the field in order to have provision for themselves. Now, there was a line behind the gleaning, and there was an order to how people would glean, and foreigners were at the end of the line. So Ruth the Moabite would have been at the end of the line, but it didn't stop her hope. The law had provided for her, and she trusted in what the law had provided, and so she got in line where she was supposed to be. Now, God's word says here in verse 3, as it happened, she was in the field of Boaz. Another version says, it just so happened. She was in the field of Boaz. The book of Ruth, at the end, we'll see there's a genealogy that leads, leads down generations after Ruth. Ruth didn't write this book. People didn't write this book for a long time after. This was a story that would have been repeated over and over again verbally before it was ever put on paper. Now, I had something happen in my life this morning that made me say, and I, I have watched myself how many times I say this now, and it just so happened. I said that this morning twice already. What does that mean? It means that God is sovereign. Because you can see these people, generation after generation after generation, passing down that story, and it just so happened she was in Boaz's field. 
That just so happened. Anytime you see that in God's word, it is the author saying nothing just so happens. Everything is done by, by divine design. And we have 100% hope because our hope is in the God who is always in control. He is in control of all of those just so happens. We have immeasurably more hope because our God controls every circumstance. And all of those just so happens in our lives are all to show that he is sovereign. We could keep a list in our journals of all of the just so happens and we would look back and you know what? We would be overwhelmed because that's how our God works. Long before you got to where you are today in whatever your journey is, and long before I got to where I was at that point, God was already working behind the scenes in Russia to establish my hope. When it came time to travel to Russia, because we travel on standby because we have these passes, my husband decided that for this journey to Russia, we were going to travel on standby. Now, <laughs> as a woman who had traveled on standby many, many times, I had been left in many, many international destinations with no seat for me on an airplane. So when my husband told me that we would be traveling on standby to pick up my promise, <laughs> I submissively, on the outside, said, okay, but we are leaving four days early. We have to be there Monday. We're starting this trip on Thursday. Because if we have to go through multiple cities to get there, we are getting to this destination. I had been left many times in positions where I had no hope for a seat. And this time, I was going to have a seat on that plane. So when we finally got to, to Russia, we did get on the first flight. So we had four days to spend in, in Russia. We got to tour and, and do some different things. But when it was finally the day that we got to go um, meet our daughter for the first time, she was nine months old. When we got to go meet our daughter, uh, we got into a van with other parents-to-be, and we started off on this dirt road for an hour. We drove on this dirt road to this small orphanage in a city called Kalash, Russia, which is outside of Volgograd. And when we were taken into this small office where we were going to receive our baby, um, there were workers from the orphanage there. And one woman stood out in my mind uh, in particular, and she was sitting in, in a corner, and she had a very gruff expression on her face. And she had on a very big hat. And we came to know her as the lady with the big hat. So one by one, the babies were brought in, and they were given to the mothers, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And finally, the last baby came through the door. And they gave my baby to me. And so as I was holding hope in my hands now, hope in my hands, and Dan was there too, you know, we just took that moment in. And all I could think as I, I, held, that, I held my baby in my hand is how God had been in control the whole time. You know, in those four plus years of getting to this destination, when it seems hopeless, and it seems like things are out of control, and it seems like, God, are you working in the circumstances? 
God the King in his sovereignty had been in control the whole time for that moment. And so we sat there and, and we talked to Emily in this language that she didn't understand. You know, and we just had this, this moment with her and it was beautiful. And I finally, as much as I didn't want to do it, let Dan hold the baby. <laughs> and so I gave Emily to Dan. And Dan was holding her, and then Dan wanted to see her face to face. So there was a table in front of us, we were kind of at a desk, and he took her and he propped her up on the table. And as we were smiling at our baby propped up on the table, I saw in the corner the lady with the big hat stood up and she started walking toward us. And so we're smiling. And she came up and through an interpreter, she said, take the baby off the table. It is bad luck to have a baby on the table. So, I don't believe in luck. But if a baby on the table was offensive to the lady in the big hat, then the baby was not staying on the table. And so I gave Dan that look, like, get the baby off the table. Don't you ruin this for me. And he took Emily off the table, and the lady in the big hat went back to the corner. A couple minutes after that, I took Emily back because, you know, I wouldn't put the baby on the table. And I just was curious if she had any teeth. And so I, I kind of went like this to try to get her to smile, because she, she's, she's um, she was very serious. I was just doing this. And you know, out of the corner of my eye, that lady in the big hat got up again. She had only been up two times, and it wasn't for any other family. It was for us. And she walked back, and this time she was walking to me. And she got to the interpreter, and the interpreter said, the baby smiles, the baby is fine, the baby smiles. And I realized that she thought I was concerned that Emily wasn't smiling. And I, said, I said, oh, no, 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 I, I don't really care if she smiles. This is all good. You know, I don't care if she smiles, ever. I don't care. And really, I just wanted to see if she had teeth, and at this point, I don't care if she has teeth. Everything is good, please go sit down. And so she went back, and she sat down. As nervous as I was in that situation, because this was just our meet the baby meeting. This baby was not mine at this point. Meet the baby. As nervous as I was about that whole situation, you know, Dan put the baby on the table, I want to see if the baby has teeth. God was completely in control the whole time. Acts 17 says, God ordains where we live, who we live with, who our parents are, how they raise us, who is in the room with us when we adopt the baby from Russia. He, he puts in place, he orchestrates every single step. Every time I think about that, I think, wow, God, you have got it. In those situations where it seems like there's a lady in, with a big hat in the room, I don't have to worry because God has it. Now it just so happens that Ruth goes to glean in the field of Boaz. Boaz was a man who worshiped God, who honored God, 
who followed the law and in following the law allowed for the provision of God over these people. Let's read in verse eight. So Boaz, this is Ruth 2, 8, I'm sorry. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Do not go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. The law provided for the foreigner, the law provided that they could get grain that they could take grain home and make bread for themselves. The law gave provision. Boaz knew the law. He followed the law. But he didn't stop there. If you heard in the story, Ruth was at the end of the line because she was a Moabite. She would have been able to pick up what was passed over by the gleaners, by the workers, by the servants, by Israel's poor, before there was grain for the foreigner. Boaz changed her position. Boaz took Ruth the foreigner from the back of the line and he put her at the front. Ruth had a disadvantage because of what she had been born into. She was born into Moab. She was a Moabite and because of what she had been born into, she was at a disadvantage. But Boaz not only followed the law, he went beyond the law, and he showed her grace. He put her at the front. In the Old Testament, servants and foreigners would go get the water. Boaz followed the law. There would have been a well, provision of water for Ruth. She would have had to have gone and gotten it herself. But in those scriptures that we just read, Boaz said to Ruth, go and drink from the pitchers that the Israelite men have filled for you. It would have been her job to go get the water, and that would have been under the law because it was provision for a drink. Boaz knew the law. He followed the law, and he went beyond. He showed her grace. He provided the water for her. And when it was time to eat, Boaz knew the law and followed the law and gave her grain where she could have taken it home and made her own bread. But he went beyond the law. He went beyond what was provided for in the law and he showed her grace. He invited her to his table with bread that was already cooked or baked, with vinegar, with so much that there was extra. He knew the law, he followed the law, and he went beyond the law and showed her grace. He invited her to his table. You know Jesus Christ went beyond the law. 
the Bible says that he fulfilled every part of the law, but he went beyond and he showed us grace. Romans says that what the law was powerless to do, Jesus Christ did. The law was powerless to take away our disadvantage. The law was powerless to take us to the front of the line. We were born into a disadvantage, a sin nature. But Jesus Christ has removed that disadvantage and he has taken us to the front of the line. The law was powerless to provide living water. Jesus Christ has given us living water so we will never thirst again. And the law was powerless to take us to the table of the Lord. But because he died, because he rose again, because he defeated death, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and he went beyond. You and I have immeasurably more hope today because God showers us with his grace and he goes beyond. That's the God who gives us hope. You know, Ruth asks one question. You know when you're in a hopeless situation, we can ask a ton of questions. I could have said, God, why four years? Why am I waiting? Why is this so painful? Why is nobody else stuck on this journey with me? Why am I the only one stuck? Why, why, why? Ruth could have asked a lot of questions, but you know what? Ruth asked one question, and it was, why have you been so kind to me? Are our eyes on our circumstances? Are our eyes on our God? Why have you been so kind to me? Why this favor? We have favor with our God who goes beyond. When we arrived in Russia, just a very quick story before we had our last point. When we arrived in Russia, we were quickly taken to a hotel and, and Dan was taken into one room and I was taken into the other. And there was a, a, a married couple and Michael took Dan and Tatiana took me. And Tatiana spoke a few words of Russian and she kept saying to me over and over and over again, you, favorite family, you, favorite family, baby, best, best favorite baby, baby, favorite baby. And I know in Russian one word and it's spasiba and it means thank you. And so I, I figured I should know that <laughs> for when I left. So uh, I just kept saying, well, spasiba. Thank you, spasiba, thank you. And she just kept saying it over and over and over again. When I met up with Dan, he said, what is going on? Because Michael just kept telling me that we are the favorite family and that this baby is the favorite baby. And I said, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. But you know what I was thinking? Why have I found favor in your eyes, God? A few days later, we drove back down that dirt road to Kalash, and this time, we were gonna take our baby with us. And when we walked into the orphanage, there was Emily, nine months old, dressed in pink sweatpants and a light green sweatshirt, and on her sweatshirt, written in English, were two words, and it was, best girl. Best girl. I had done nothing to receive this favor. I had done nothing. She had done nothing to receive this favor. 
but we were the favorite family and she was the best girl. In Russia, hope fulfilled, spoken to me in English and written on my Russian baby in English. Do you know when I see that, whatever my challenge is today, my miracle walks down the steps every morning to go to school. Every time she walks down those stairs, whatever my challenge is for today, he's got it. He's got it. Last point today, or this morning, is that I hope, have hope because Jesus Christ is my redeemer. The law provided for those who not, could not get themselves out of a hopeless situation. The law provided a close family member who was able and willing to buy back anything that needed to be redeemed, land, and also to take care of any widows. They could marry the widow. Now Naomi knew about this, and so she said to Ruth, you need to go to the threshing floor at night where Boaz will be, and you need to lay down at his feet and ask him to marry you. <laughs> In so many words. <laughs> it was Naomi's plan, but look at where Ruth's obedience positioned her. She was to go, Boaz was going to be her kinsman redeemer. We have hope because we have a redeemer. She was to go to her redeemer, and she was to lay it all down at his feet. That was her hope. Everything that she had just traveled with, gleaning in a foreign field, everything that she had from her past, and everything that may come at her in her future, all of her anxieties, all of the reasons that she would not have hope, she was to lay down at her redeemer's feet. There is hope when we take everything that we're carrying, and in a position of submission, we put it all before our redeemer. He's the only one that can carry it anyway. And when we get to that point, when we lay everything before him, we realize that everything that I had tried to do to make this family thing happen, I couldn't do on my own. Whatever your hopeless situation is, we cannot do it on our own. If we could do it on our own, it wouldn't be hopeless. But our Redeemer can do it for us. Boaz says, yes, he will marry her. But he needs to ask someone closer if they would marry her first because he is not the, next, the, the closest redeemer. And so he goes to the closest redeemer and he says, will you redeem the land? And the re closer redeemer says, well, yes, I am able to redeem the land. It, it makes my property look bigger. It makes me look bigger and better. But when Boaz says that Ruth, the Moabite, comes with the land, Boaz quickly goes, mm, I don't want to redeem the Moabite. That might look bad on me. It might not work out for my family, and it could mess up my name. And so the closer redeemer says, I won't redeem. The closer redeemer had his own agenda. He would redeem only if Ruth was not part of the picture. But Boaz, you know what, Boaz didn't need the land. He was the wealthiest landowner there was in Bethlehem. He didn't need the land or anything that Ruth brought along with her. Boaz would redeem the land 
because it came with Ruth. He wasn't out for his own agenda. He was out for Ruth's. And he didn't care about how it would mess up his family name. He wasn't out to make himself look bigger or better. He didn't want the land. He wanted Ruth. They were both able to redeem. They were both close relatives. But only Boaz was willing to redeem. God has been and is, was under zero obligation to redeem us. He doesn't need anything we bring with us, the land, our gifts, our talents. He doesn't need them. They're his. He gave them to us to steward. He doesn't need what we bring with us. He wants us. And so that's why God redeems us, not because of what he gets with us, because he wants us as part of his family. And he doesn't care what anybody thinks if, it mess up, if we think we're going to mess up his name because he has covered us in his righteousness. That's how he sees us. But God redeemed us because we are what he wanted. No matter how much Ruth gleaned in the fields, no matter how many times she went out to the field, Ruth could not get herself out of her hopeless situation. She was in distress and she could not get herself out of it. Her Redeemer went to work for her. And you know, we can't get ourselves out of our hopeless situation either. But our Redeemer went to work for us. We have a Redeemer who put on flesh and became a close relative. We have a Redeemer who is outside of the law because his blood is perfect and sinless and therefore he is the only one able to redeem. And we have a redeemer who isn't just close and able, but our redeemer is lovingly willing. Our redeemer wanted to redeem us. There is so much hope in the book of Ruth, we couldn't fit it into the time that we've had here. We're gonna keep going with this in the afternoon, but I wanna tell you, we have hope today because there's still a king in charge of your life and he has a great plan for you no matter what your situation is. He's always in control, he gives us grace beyond, and he is our redeemer. We have a God of grace beyond. We have hope for a future now. He is still on the throne. Praise God. We believe that God will use what was shared to encourage you as you step into the more that he has prepared for you today. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, remember, you were created for more.